the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Coming up this hour, we're going to talk about the news, media, and objectivity. And then we're joined by Belinda Bauman, founder of One Million Thumbprints. You're listening to The Common Good. everybody. Listen, uh, welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160. Hope for your life. My name is Brian Fromm, joined by Aubrey Sampson again. Aubrey, I told you off air that I just feel off my game today. And then I stumbled us right into the show. I might just disconnect right now and give you the show. This might be a solo take show over. All right. Get ready, everybody. Here we go. It's Friday. I, what can you do? It is. I just told Aubrey that I just found myself just staring out the window. <laughs> You ready for the weekend? We are. I am. But we are glad to have you with us today on this Friday. Sounding like a broken record, thankfully, this week. It is beautiful outside again. Moving towards 65 degrees next week. And so looking forward to the weekend. You guys have any big plans for the weekend? I mean, Brian, I feel like you already know our big plans. Tonight is the finale of WandaVision. So we're getting Portillo's. We're getting chocolate cake. We're going to have dinner in front of the TV. It's a whole thing tonight for us to watch WandaVision together. What are you guys going to do? Let let me pause for a second. (laughs) Let me pause because my my night is much less. My son and I are going to get haircuts tonight, apparently. My (laughs) wife told me that. Oh, good uh, good wife. She takes care of you. (laughs) She's always like, you should get a haircut. I'm like, you should get it uh, scheduled for me. (laughs) (laughs) 21 years. It works well that way. All right. I have to ask because last week you told us you were going to watch WandaVision. Yes. uh, with other food in front of the fireplace or however you do it at the Samson house. <laughs> yes. Uh, and, and I have not watched a minute of WandaVision. I honestly right. wouldn't know where to find it. Uh, but then on Twitter, I felt like I was a bad Christian. Like, I, like, I, <laughs> like I'm avoiding watching C.S. Lewis or reading C.S. <laughs> Lewis or something. Uh, like all these people were like quoting WandaVision and somebody else jokingly said, if your pastor doesn't quote WandaVision this week, <laughs> leave your church. What is uh, what is the draw? What is love? Yeah. I feel like Twitter flipped last Friday, at well, least Christian Twitter, and right. it went nuts. Well, the fu- <laughs> okay, so the funny thing is that I actually I spoke at an event for church planners this week online, and the first question they asked me was about WandaVision, and so I thought, well, funny. okay, it's in the air now. It's because I, I, I'm going to spoil the show for you, so I don't want to spoil too it. much. But I will watch it, oh, Brian. I'm so sad about that. <laughs> what we have all discovered if if you if you don't want spoilers stop listening now for a few minutes what we have all discovered is that this whole world that has been created in WandaVision is a result of this grieving woman's heartache and we all sort of knew that but it was revealed and so there was this very profound line that said what is grief but love persevering And so the Christian world went wild over that because, you know, that's very preachable, right? (laughs) And, um, and wait, wait, what is grief but love persevering? Yeah. What is love but grief? Yeah. Yeah. I said it right the first time. (laughs) Um, and, uh, I think after the year we've all had, 
it kind of just named some pain and we all feel like we're living in this sort of bizarro world. And so it just was a like really like cultural moment, prophetic kind of like, yes, we're all feeling this right now. It sort of reminded me of, you know how the matrix, like every pastor was preaching about the matrix. I do. I feel like it's the new matrix. That's what I was telling myself. Like, Oh, okay. We're going to hear this sermon told 8,000 different ways for the next like five years. <laughs> so I turned Twitter on. I, I You don't turn Twitter on. I right. got on Twitter last Friday night and it was that exact quote you said like eight times in a row. <laughs> Just, <laughs> and then of course, our, my former co-host Ian Simpkins wrote it in like three different variations and on various places. Yeah, and people, people have made some funny memes from it, right? Like somebody, somebody wrote, what is kimchi but cabbage persevering? You know, I mean, just really... Lots of funny spinoffs from it. Well, see, something you're going to learn if you keep doing the show with me, that uh, that I am usually a good three to five years behind the cultural wave. So I'll watch <laughs> WandaVision in like five years. But-, but wait, what about your love for People Magazine? I feel like that's got to be keeping you up on all things WandaVision uh, well, that slash is pop the- culture. Well, A, that's the beauty of going to get my hair cut tonight. I know I'm going to get to read some stuff, but... <laughs> Uh, but yeah, there is some truth to that. My family and I, we finished watching uh, literally like one of the first Avengers movies last night. So. Oh, yeah. You're, you're behind. You're behind. <laughs> yeah, but it was, it it's was a great fun. movie, though, right? Yeah, it really was. It really is. All right. So that is tonight. And uh, we hope everybody else out there now that now that Aubrey, now that Aubrey uh, ruined the, the finale for you, you don't have to watch it. You could, <laughs> you could do something else with your evening. <laughs> Go out and don't watch TV. Do something in real life instead of television. People. Exactly. <laughs> uh, but hey, you're having Portillo's. So that is for the win right there. Don't uh, you think so? Oh, my the the way to my wife's. Uh, I learned this a long time ago. The way to her heart is not flowers and it is not candy. It is Portillo's chocolate cake. Oh, uh, I mean, yeah, your wife, your wife sounds amazing because of that. <laughs> it is. I learned that early on, like, oh, here's some flowers. It's like, oh, thank you so much. Hey, here's a piece of chocolate. Like, yes. <laughs> I mean, we were debating, like, I mean, can we just get a whole cake for tonight? It is the last night of WandaVision. Like, a whole chocolate cake feels reasonable to get. <laughs> the, the answer to that question on two things is yes. A, there's nothing wrong with that. You have a family of five. And yeah. so there's nothing wrong with that. And B, I've eaten with your husband before, at least back in college. <laughs> I think that's, that, that is doable, let me tell you. <laughs> yes, and his eating habits have not changed since college. <laughs> so I think a, a full chocolate cake to go with an Italian beef is probably the okay, way to go. I got your permission, so I'm you know. I'm adding it to the list. Tell your husband he's welcome. So, uh, all right. I did want to ask you this, Rivas. Just saw this reading today at NBC News, and it was a quick title. It just says Fox News will be quote the loyal opposition to Biden. Fox CEO says this is uh, Lachlan Murdoch said uh, in a in a interview yesterday, and I found this really. Uh, telling because we all talk about cable news and their obvious biases, but this was uh, somebody at Fox's bias just saying, no, no, this is who we are, like admitting it, saying it out loud. Yeah. And we get Fox, we get this at MSNBC, we get this at CNN, that there are definite points of view at all time. And and I guess my question for you, uh, I'm not, I'm guessing you aren't either, not a big cable news watcher, but this also goes for Facebook, Twitter, online sure, stuff. Sure, sure. Uh, what is the danger of of not realizing that these news organizations have a an agenda? And, right. and how do we as Christians, just citizens, but also specifically as Christians, how do we kind of get beyond this and try to uh, try to actually go after truth and kind of figure out what's going on? Maybe how do you guys do that? 
Yeah, that's a that's a great question. I I think the hard part is I sort of wish, I guess it's unrealistic, but I sort of wish there was a news forum that you could watch that was balanced. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot probably feel that they're balanced or say that they're balanced. But right here, I mean, at least at least Fox News is being very um, forthright here. We're not we're not going to be balanced. We are going to oppose Biden, period. So at least you kind of know what you're getting into now. All of us are going to know, okay, they're not going to, they're not going to support the Biden administration at all. Um, I think I just long for the day when you can watch or read or consume news that gives you all kinds of perspectives or here, you could think about it this way, or you could think about it this way. Right. Um, That's probably idealistic of me, but I think for Kevin and I, we don't actually watch a lot of cable news, partly because we know it's so biased. Mm -hmm. Um, We do listen to radio. We do of course read like our news feeds as they come up. And I know some people feel like, well, if you get your news from, I'm going to use CNN and Fox news because they seem to be, you know, opposed. Mm -hmm. So, Oh, you get your news from both places, then you have balance. But I don't think that always works either. Like two polar opposites don't make truth, (laughs) right? Somehow, I I guess this is where the Christian needs to lean into our biblical truth, our community. Again, again, all of this stuff has to be communal and not individual. And just ask people, hey, what do you think about this? People from different perspectives, people from different political parties, people from different age groups. How do you guys do this, Brian? Oh, it's it's so hard. But it's what you just said, because I do try to go. Oh, maybe if I read enough stuff, I'll be able to get it. Uh, I do think it's to make sure I get out of my echo chambers that I'm not only, you know, checking what Facebook curates for me or yeah. this and that. But I think you used an important word. I think community is an important word uh, to kind of begin to have other people help you flesh it out. I'll regularly get in conversations with people and say, I never thought of it that way. Mm -hmm, That's right. And I think that is helpful. You know what else helps is having a microphone for two hours a day. (laughs) You get to to work out what you think in front of people. Exactly. So yeah, I think people on, it's funny, people on the left are like, see, Fox News is biased. And people on the right are like, see, MSNBC is biased. They're all biased. We're all biased. And the question is, how do you cut through it? I think I also decided, what did you say? Two polar opposites don't, wait, two, what did you, how'd you put that? Two polar uh, opposites don't make truth? Two polar opposites don't make truth. They just, it doesn't like work that way. There's a good chance that that's on WandaVision tonight. I'm going to see that <laughs> just everywhere tonight. <laughs> oh, let us know what you think at Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Common Good Talk. Well, coming up next, Belinda Bauman, founder of One Million Thumbprints and also the author of Brave Souls, Experiencing the Audacious Power of Empathy. Belinda is going to join us for the next two segments here on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, hope for your life. My name is Brian Fromm, joined again by Aubrey Sampson. I came back. I showed up for you, Brian. You are here. We are thrilled for that. Glad to have you with us on a beautiful, sunny Friday afternoon. Uh, The sun has to be out on a Friday, so we are glad that you're with us. So luxurious. I love it. I know. We're thrilled to be joined for two segments by the founder of One Million Thumbprints and the author of Brave Souls, Experiencing the Audacious Power of Empathy. That is Belinda Bauman. Belinda, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, my gosh. This is so fun. (laughs) Thank you for having me. I'm excited. (laughs) Before we get into talking about your book and the other things you've going on, we'd love to just start with our guests by having them introduce themselves to our audience so we can get to know you a little bit. So why don't you do that for our audience? Sure. I 
You know, I always, I have a friend who um, rightly says this. She said, Belinda, every time I've heard you introduce yourself uh, on a, a, a podcast or anywhere, you really should start with the word enigma. <laughs> <laughs> I am uh, I wear a lot of hats and I know a lot of us do these days but I am an author and educator and most recently was able uh, to add the title of gender and development specialist to that list I'm mm. very very pleased with that that is someone who focuses on um, the role and voice that women have uh, in justice being birthed in this wow. world. And I love, um, I love that that's part of who I am right now. Um, I live in uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan right now, but my husband and mm -hmm. I and my boys have lived um, many, many places all over the world. And most of them have had either the phrase conflict zone or post-conflict zone in their wow. uh, deemed titles throughout our lifetime. Wow. So after 30 years of living and serving um, women who live in um, crisis uh, over um, my lifetime, I am really, really happy to be landing in the place of um, centering other women's voices in this world. Mm. Mm -hmm. Great. That's so powerful, Belinda, to hear you say that. Um, what our listeners might not know, Belinda, is you and I exchange Instagram messages every once in a while. And I just have to say, listeners, that Belinda is who she says she <laughs> is. She often empowers me and encourages me behind the scenes. And so I am just beyond thrilled that you're here with us today, Belinda. I'm so excited that you're here. Um, I want to talk a little bit. You just called yourself a gender and development specialist, which I love that title. I wonder how that is connected to the organization that you founded, One Million Thumbprints. Can you tell us a little bit about that? I sure can. Yeah. I, um, oh goodness. Like I said, I've been doing this for a number of years, but after a, uh, at, uh, uh, 15 years of living in conflict and post-conflict zones, I, uh, I started to feel my own, uh, soul, uh, start to turn a little gray, a little cold after, uh, years and years of, dealing with infrastructure development and um, the just the havoc that conflict rots in a in a country over years especially mm -hmm. if it's protracted like in the Democratic Republic of the Congo or in South yeah. Sudan um, Syria these places I started looking at these places as unfixable un touchable. It was sapping the life out of me. Mm -hmm. And I worried that mm. what we were doing was not, was not a real thing. And I needed to yeah. reconnect with my soul. I needed to reconnect with the hope that was there in protracted conflict, especially around the experiences of women in protracted conflict. Mm. And so 
Mm. My whole yeah. One Million Thumbprint starts with a woman named Esperance. And she generously and so articulately gave her story to me um, in the Democratic Republic of the Congo. And her story was not easy to hear. It had gender-based violence. It had the murder of her husband and the loss of her children. And even though the world is filled with suffering, it is also filled with the overcoming of it. And Esperance filled Mm -hmm. my ears with the words, even though I have suffered this way, I have become a listener and a helper to my sisters who have also suffered this way. And her story blew me out of the water. I, and I spent the rest of the last 10 years identifying what those components in that story, in that community that she lived in were that made them such a vital witness to their strength, but also the strength of Jesus in their lives. And the healing that they were bringing and what that was represented by was their thumbprints. Esperance gave me one mandate after all of it. She told me her story and she said one thing, only one ask out of the whole time. And that was, tell the world my story. Wow. Yeah. Belinda, you were telling us off air where you got that name, One Million Thumbprints. I think you were just telling that story. Could you help our people know exactly where that title comes from? Absolutely. When uh, when Esperance and I uh, exchanged stories, she that mandate, tell the world my story. I had asked her, you know, I want to honor your voice, Esperance. This is your story, your voice. This needs to be told in quotations, not in interpretation. And mm. when I asked her that, I, I asked for her permission to do that. Her, she gave me my mandate. I said, your permission. She, as a preliterate women, woman, um, the most valuable thing she owned was her thumbprint. It's how she procure, mm. procures goods and services. It's how she gets health care in, in the zones that she lives in. It's how she wow. uh, is identified by her government. And so she, um, instead of signing a release form, our standard release form, she flipped it over and had um, her pastor who was with us write the words, tell the world my story in big, bold letters. And then she Mm -hmm. took her thumbprint and put it right underneath that. And all of a sudden, everything in my world went from being optional to being uh, a mandate, what I had to do with the rest of my life. And that's how One Million Thumbprints. We now um, catalyze voice for women and girls affected by violence and conflict zones. currently in uh, the Democratic Republic of Congo and in the Beka Valley in Lebanon, which is Syrian refugees. Wow. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Wow. So you can find that website, one million thumbprints.org. That's one million thumbprints.org. Uh, but you're also the author of a book that came out, uh, it looked like in 2019, I believe, called Brave Souls, Experiencing the Audacious Power of Empathy. Could you give our listeners kind of what's the point of the book? Why did you write this book? Uh, and what is it about? 
What's the point? Get to the point. I agree. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm here's, here's the problem. Um, the point is, uh, is, is hard to hear in, and the point is that Mm. in my own life, I watched myself settling for, uh, control instead of compassion towards my fellow human beings. Mm. I watched my own, in my own life, my soul settle for civility instead of love, two very different things. And I was super content with this kind of transactional way of interacting with people as opposed to really um, embracing community. And a lot of that came out Mm. of a season that I had living in conflict and post-conflict zones where just the day in and day out of dealing with um, other people's pain and, uh, and their struggle came into my heart and I let it weigh me down. And I thought, oh my gosh, there has to be a better way. And there was a better way. I turned back to the community that was experiencing the suffering for especially the voices of the women in those communities that lived the conflict, that lived the suffering. And what I saw there Mm. was breathtaking. And it made me so hungry for what they had. It was what I call now the virtue of empathy and that virtue Mm. is so muscular it is so strong and right now in 2021 having gone through what the world has gone through i truly believe it is the virtue that is muscular enough to meet the pain and the complexity of where we live today Mm. wow um belinda Jumping off from there, help us understand what is empathy and maybe what isn't empathy. <laughs> yeah, so um, it, it's so funny. I, I I tussle with folk on this all the time because I think empathy is probably one of the most ill-defined words in our current uh, vocabulary, especially because <laughs> right, I think you're right. It, it's taken on. Um, most recently, it's taken on a political shine to it. And I've had people throughout the mm. election saying, you know, which one's the party of empathy? And I'm, I'm not falling into that trap. I say <laughs> <laughs> that um, with one camp of people defining empathy as kind of like the question, can you feel me? Right. And the other camp saying, mm-hmm. you know, do you do you get me? And and anytime hmm. we kind of say, uh, be wary, listeners, whenever you, you hear somebody saying empathy is a response to feeling or a response to understanding, it is not. It is both. We are created hmm. beings meant to be in harmony, our minds and our hearts. So empathy requires an engaged mind and a beating heart. It is is uh, the other one I get is empathy is walking a mile in other people's shoes. And then as much as I want to <laughs> right, right. agree with that, I really think this echoing back on into the golden rule, like do unto others as you would have them do unto, your, unto you, has only gotten us to civility, right? That's what I was saying in our first yeah, segment, yeah. that right now civility is not 
muscular enough to help us mm. in the dark pit we are sitting in. Only love mm. is strong enough to that to get there. And I believe that empathy, when best defined, is when our heart and our head puts us in a place to practice that alignment and live really and truly in love for our neighbors that will get us out of the so good so good good. yeah and belinda i want to make sure we get to this you're actually coming up here on march the 8th are running a brave souls reading community uh what is that and how can people get involved in that Ooh, thank you so much for asking. So just like what I said, I really, you know, uh, we've all survived something. Every single soul on the planet right now it has survived, is surviving, and is meant to continue surviving. But when we put love on a spectrum yeah. here, love is giving way to fear. It really is. It has been. It is continuing to do that. And watching the events of the last several years – Um, The anger and the pain and the division has brought me personally to my knees. And I really think that we are getting ready to give up even on civility. And I worry about that, even in the church. Same with me. So you feel it. I feel it. And I honestly believe it's time to do something about it. And if brave souls... uh, Brave souls is a phrase that harkens back to people that are willing uh, to be this rising tide of people that will learn how to grapple with um, what matters outside of our cultural moment and practice it inside of our cultural moment that they're willing to Mm. discover and learn how to wage war every day against the fear and the anger and the violence that rolls over us and not rely on our own personality traits or, you know, these magical prayers that we say, but actually embrace and (laughs) right as a spiritual discipline as the power Mm. within us to do something beyond the power outside of us, mm-hmm. right? So we so practice. Uh, we practice listening. We practice perspective taking, and we practice making peace with ourselves, our God, and others. And honestly, the one of the best ways that I've learned to do that is by reading books. And so we're going to tackle Brave Souls together in a capped reading community. I'm taking about 50 people. I'll lead the community personally. Um, and we will use these three skills, perspective taking, listening, and peacemaking, to learn how to brave up our souls before we give up in, on the culture that we live in right now. Oh, sounds so good. I want to be a part of it. Belinda, tell um, our listeners how they can join the Brave Souls Reading Community if they want to and how they can find and follow you with everything that you're doing. Oh, absolutely. So um, you can find the Brave Souls Reading Community. You can actually just fill out a really brief um, uh, application reserve your space on the One Million Thumbprints website. So you just go to the One Million Thumbprints website, click on events, and it'll take you to Brave Souls, where you can just click on the Join the Community button. And like I said, we're, we're capping at 50, and we have, we have a few 
we have about 25 folk in there right now. And I would love to have some of your listeners who are Mm -hmm. obviously interested in the common good moment that we're in right now. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Join us. It'd be great. Thank you. And you can find me on all of the socials. (laughs) Belinda, Belinda, (laughs) <laughs> well, great. Belinda Bauman is the founder of One Million Thumbprints and the author of Brave Souls, Experiencing the Audacious Power of Empathy. Belinda, this was great. Thanks so much for taking the time and joining us today. What a joy. And thank you so much for the Common Good Show. What a fantastic tool for folk as they are on an empathy journey. We appreciate it. We appreciate it. Thanks again, Belinda. Well, you're Thanks, all listening. To, yep. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. Hope that you're having a great Friday afternoon. Uh, somebody that we talk about on the show here often. I'm a huge Scott Sauls fan. Yeah, he's so great. He blogs at scottsauls.com. He also has written many books, the most recent being A Gentle Answer. He is the pastor of Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville. Uh, and he's been on The Common Good more than a few times. So also following him on Twitter. Anyway, Scott Sauls is worth reading. Uh, and so like I said, he blogs regularly at scottsauls.com. And when he does, we tend to just read them because mm. they're really helpful. One thing I love about Scott Sauls and his writing and his books is he could – uh, he could really kind of have a huge ego for his platform. Yeah. And he, he at least to me appears to be the opposite. Uh, That's and awesome. so he's even going to touch on this here. So let me read a little bit of this and I would love for you to react to what Scott Sauls has to say here. The title of this blog is Jesus and the Catastrophe of Success. Hmm. He says, anyone who knows me will tell you that my life has been far from perfect. I've been anxious and depressed, sometimes in a deeply crushing way. I've been uh, racially unaware and sometimes wonder, am I still? Other times I get too worked up because my personality is on the type A continuum. I've been unemployed for a time, struggled with body image, depended too much on food for comfort. I sometimes feel like a failure. Some nights I don't sleep at all. Mm -hmm. I sometimes get scared of dying young. I often wonder uh, if my life and ministry is making any difference at all. See, that's why I love Scott Sauls. I mean, not all of those things, but. Every pastor, every person, but at least every pastor I know has laid awake asking those exact absolutely, questions. Absolutely. Absolutely. And he goes on to say, and yet signs of God's unmerited kindness are all around me. This coming summer, uh, Patty, his wife, and I will celebrate our 26th wedding anniversary. Uh, though no spouse or marriage is perfect, I'm grateful to be married to her. Then our oldest daughter, he talks about his oldest daughter and what she's doing. Uh, he goes on to talk about, I'm enjoying ministry more than ever at wow. Christ Presbyterian Church. Uh, at least for now, he says, my life seems like an embarrassment of undeserved blessing. But as I consider this, I'm also struck by Jesus's admonishment to his disciples precisely when their perceived success and and influence were on the rise. Mm -hmm. Luke chapter 10, uh, Luke chapter 10, he says, the 72 return, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, behold, I've given you the authority to tread on serpents and scorpions. And over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. He says, did you catch that? When the disciples came to him with news of their strength and influence and success, his response was to say, do not rejoice. He says, why? 
because as my colleague Bob Bradshaw reminds our team often, 95% of successful people end up failing the test of prosperity because in many instances, there's an inverse relationship with what the world calls success and true success. We're only mm-hmm. successful when we have character that is greater than our gifts and abilities and humility that is greater than our platforms or influence. That seems like the money line right there. Why oh, don't you I was just thinking, bit? I got to tweet that. There you go. Uh, what, what do you think about what Scott, and there's a lot more to it. We might get yeah. to some of it, but what do you think about what Scott Sauls had to say? Here? You know, I was actually reading in one of the gospels and I can't remember which one, but you know what the part where Herod gets like eaten by worms because he, he allows himself to be worshiped rather than God. Mm -hmm. And I just set my Bible down and I was like, Lord, I am so sorry for any moment that I have fallen prey to that. It Mm. is so clear in scripture that Jesus rejects any type of this quote unquote worldly strength, influence, success platform, just again and again and again. I mean, he just rejects it. Mm. And so I think that Scott Sauls is exactly right. That our character, our integrity, our intimacy with God is so much more important than any, any influence. Yeah. And, you know, we're just in a world right now where it seems like to be seen matters so much. That's right. And that's not the way of Jesus. That's right. What that's do you right. think? I, I, what strikes me about what he wrote here is that Scott Sauls is somebody that you as an author or us as people who speak and pastors that we do look up to as a success to like, Absolutely. I want to be like that guy. Like, right. You know, I would guess if I were writing a book, I would try to be like, how does Scott Sauls do it? <laughs> like yeah. if I were blogging, yeah. I would ask myself, What's Scott Saul's kind of what's his angle on blog, preaching, whatever else like he is a, a pastor to be emulated. And yet all of his writing tends to be like deflect and go, hey, it's not about me. And not when it me. is about me, that's a problem. Uh, and so let me just read how he closes. He says he lists a bunch of verses. He talks about Tennessee Williams, who talked about the catastrophe of success. Uh, and Saul says this. Lastly. If this isn't enough to give us a healthier, humbler perspective on self-exalting, self-advancing ambitions, perhaps this observation from Anne Lamont will. Uh, Anne Lamont will. She said, 100 years from now, all new people. <laughs> says, I don't know about you, but for me, that's an important perspective to keep. Whether living in plenty or in want, let's do all things through Christ who alone gives us strength. Such a Amen. good word from yeah. Scott Sauls at scottsauls.com. We'll put that up on our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram page at Common Good Talk. Well, one more hour to go, Aubrey and I, before we close out the weekend. Coming up next, uh, we've talked a lot about John MacArthur, but I want to talk about something else John MacArthur said about religious freedom the other day that I found very interesting. We're going to talk about that next year on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Coming up this hour, we're going to talk about what John MacArthur had to say about religious freedom. And then we're joined for two segments by the senior writer and faith at work editor for the Gospel Coalition, Sarah Zylstra. You're listening to The Common Good. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. Hope that you're having a great Friday. Looking forward to a fun weekend. We're glad that you're spending some time with us here on The Common Good. 
I had a fun uh, discussion with my uh, one of my kids last night. I forget which one. I lose track of them by now. But uh, <laughs> we were discussing one or two movies that when you're when you're changing the channel on your television and it's on, you will stop almost every time. What oh. comes to mind for you? One or two movies. Wow. That when it's on, you will stop. Wow, that is a uh, wow. That's a, such a hard question because I love movies. Um, I would say mine are going to be very girly, like um, just something Jane Austen of Sense and Sensibility or Pride and Prejudice or one of those. I've never is seen that. I would <laughs> Brian. <laughs> Brian. Okay. Well, and I know you're you're going to say this about the next one I'm about to say. I mean, I I've. I've kind of shared with you my like nerd I love Marvel movies. So I would say any of the new Spider-Mans or any of the new um, Avengers movies, I would stop. For. I told you in the first hour, we just have started watching the Avengers movies. Our 17 year old. I'm excited for you. Uh, watching this. This, uh, this discussion began because I won't stop and watch this entire movie, but if the last half hour of A Few Good Men is on, like it was the other day, <laughs> oh, the courtroom yeah. scene, I will watch yeah, it every that's time. That's a great courtroom scene. Uh, the end of Field of Dreams when he throws with his dad in the in the cornfield, I will oh, stop so and nice. cry. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Who's that's your... a tearjerker for sure. Yeah, but there are just certain movies, any part of Rocky Four that goes without saying, but there are... <laughs> Just certain movies that if you come across it, you're like, I'm stopping, stopping. Sense and Sensibility is not one of those for me, but yeah. Sorry, you're missing out. I feel like this is another girly one. You've got mail. If that one's on with Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks, I'll stop. I'm like, oh, yep. Yeah, I'm, I'm clearing my clear my day, everybody. I'm watching this movie. That one is also near the top of the list of movies that couldn't be made now because it would just be Absolutely called like, you've, not. Got, you've got a text. <laughs> like, it's it so just... out of date. It is really funny if you watch it. It is so, the technology has changed so much. It since is. That it's, it's just like, you've so got mail. Out of date. Yeah. But they do need to redo it because the first You've Got Mail was a, a old movie about people who wrote letters and fell in love and then they updated it to email and so now it doesn't need to be like, you've got DMs or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> I, I am going to have to admit that I didn't know there was a first You've Got Mail, which it was letters. I thought... It it wasn't called You've Got Mail. I don't know what it was actually called. But yes, that You've Got Mail was based on a movie, another movie. Oh, that was always funny. It's just that You've Got Mail. No, it does. It does <laughs> and it had cold. like the dial-up internet sound. Like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> that noise. Oh, that's funny. Anyway, I thought that was funny last night as I watched for the millionth time in my life, the end of, of, of A Few Good Men and enjoyed every minute of it. So I'm glad you caught that. That's good. I did. I did. All right. John MacArthur is somebody that we have talked a lot about, Ian and I. And then since Ian left the show, John MacArthur has just been in the news, the Christian news, at least a lot as of late. So uh, John MacArthur uh, runs Grace Community Church in Sun Valley, California, which is a big 3,000 or so person church. John MacArthur has written more books than I've read in my life, uh, whether it be <laughs> commentaries or books. But he's especially, maybe he's always been really kind of opinionated, but feels more opinionated and out there to me as of late. I just definitely more public these that's days. That's the word that's I'm true. looking for, public, yep. I'm yep. sure. Uh, but uh, you might know some of the stories we've been doing where John MacArthur has taken a very strong stand about reopening church and not wearing masks and yeah. uh, at his school, also the master's seminary. So uh, we've done all of those. Well, this was at Christian Headlines, and I want to just kind of give the background of the story uh, and then get your take. It says this, John MacArthur urges Christians not to support religious freedom. He says, I won't fight for idolatry. So when I saw that headline, that's a that's a. 
That's a headline. Yeah, grabber, that's isn't not it? a headline you expect to hear around John MacArthur. But so oh, what's he actually saying? Yeah, now? see, that's where it changes. It says on Wednesday, MacArthur delivered a state of the church address in place of this year's annual Shepherds Conference. I want to give a state of the church address. That would be fun. That sounds fun. Uh, the Shepherds Conference, which was postponed for, quote, ongoing litigation and recent threats from the state. About 3000 men were expected to join. During Wednesday's address, MacArthur urged evangelicals to stop creating alliances with non-Christian groups in pushing for religious freedom, arguing that it's unnecessary. He said the gospel offends the sinner and seeks to break the sinner's comfort and contentment by bringing him into the stark realization of the eternal judgment of God. He noted that evangelicals, quote, have become like Peter because, quote, they are looking for alliances with Satan that they think somehow can aid the kingdom. He said, I told our congregation a few weeks ago that I could never really concern myself with religious freedom. I wouldn't fight for religious freedom because I won't fight for idolatry. Why would I fight for the devil to have as many false religions as possible and all of them to be available to everyone? Despite religious freedom having wide support amongst Americans, MacArthur noted that Christians will continue to be targeted by, quote, the hostility of sinners. Well, people would say that's a terrible thing to say. What about Christianity? Christianity advances whether there's religious freedom or not, he asserted. And there'll always be religious freedom for all the lies. So let me pause there. MacArthur, uh, he never uh, minces words. <laughs> he doesn't right, right. punches. True. So cut through, uh, even cutting through some of like uh, the brashness of what he said. What do you think he was trying to get at here? And do you tend to agree with them or do you just wholeheartedly disagree with them? <laughs> I mean, I okay, this is going to show my bias, and this is unfair, Brian, but I'm just going to put it out there. I'm still stuck on the fact that 3,000 men were expected to join the state of the... Where, are the women not invited to the state of the church address? So already I'm coming in a little... I, I'm going to try to set that aside for the state <laughs> yes. of the conversation, okay? You know, again, we talked about this yesterday. My heart is an evangelist heart. Mm -hmm. And so I am going to look for alliances, not with Satan, obviously. <laughs> I mean, that just seems so absurd to me. But with non-Christians, because I believe the gospel, yes, of course it offends sinners, but the gospel is for sinners. Mm. Like Jesus came for the sick, not for the healthy. And so if we just say, well, we're not going to be in a relationship with those people or we're not going to build bridges, to me, that just cuts off any relational ability to begin sharing the gospel with people. And are we not called to yes. be disciple makers? I mean, that is our great commission. So I think this is not, I I, I don't, I disagree with him. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. I, I agree with you in your disagreement of him. Uh, I think Ed Stetzer has had a lot of good stuff to write about this when it comes to religious freedom uh, that that we as Christians should not only be fighting for our own religious freedom, fighting, I, that might be too strong a word, but advocating right. for advocating, advocating mm -hmm. for our own religious freedom. But we should be advocating for the religious freedom uh, of our Jewish brothers and sisters, our Muslim brothers yeah. and sisters. And that yeah. overall religious freedom culturally is a good thing. Uh, right. And and so I, I disagree with MacArthur here about. Uh, hey, we're going to just abandon the advocacy for religious freedom because it's just going to uh, buoy these these uh, religions that I disagree with that I consider lies. I know I think we want to advocate societally for religious freedom and also trust that as we're building bridges, like you said, as we're discussing, you know, things of the faith with other people, with other religions, with whatever. Uh, we're going to believe that the Holy Spirit is going to be at work and he That's is right. going to be drawing people to himself. 
That's right. uh, that the goal ultimately is not to quiet everybody down. It's to have robust conversation. And we trust the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, yeah. Yesterday, you told us you're a closet Pentecostal. So you believe that. <laughs> I absolutely. I wholeheartedly believe that. Absolutely. And so maybe you disagree with us, though. Maybe you're like, you know what? He's right. Religious freedom is. An, I actually do. Uh, this is for another segment another day. I think in completely a different way, I do think the concept of religious freedom could be seen as an idol if we're not careful. Absolutely, that's true. Uh, but I yeah, do not yeah. believe it in the way that John MacArthur's talking about it here. So yeah, what yeah. do you think? Go to our Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, read the article, give us a comment at Common Good Talk. Well, coming up next, Sarah Zylstra, senior writer and faith and work editor for the Gospel Coalition, also the co-author of a new book called Gospel Bound, Living with Resolute Hope in an Anxious Age. Sarah's going to join us for two segments here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey everybody, welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm, joined today by Aubrey Sampson. Really glad to have you with us on a beautiful Friday afternoon here in the Chicagoland area. And we are thrilled to be joined uh, for the next two segments by senior writer and Faith at Work editor for the Gospel Coalition, uh, Sarah Zylstra. Sarah, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad to be here. It's absolutely our pleasure. Before we get started, we got articles we want to talk about, a book we want to talk about. But before we jump into <laughs> those things, why don't you introduce yourself so our audience can get to know you a little bit? Yep. My name is Sarah Zylster. As you said, I originally came, come from Chicago, from Iowa. Sorry. Um, I grew up in a small rural farm town there and went to college there and then, um, got married and moved to Chicago with my husband where we both went to graduate school. Um, and then afterward we stayed. Mm -hmm. So we have settled the Southern suburbs of Chicago. We live in Homewood, which is close to Indiana, close to I-80. And there we are raising two boys. I have an 11 year old and a 14 year old. Nice. My husband uh, works downtown or he did. <laughs> now he works from home. <laughs> right, right. And I uh, work for the Gospel Coalition, which means I always worked from home. So that's, it's a remote organization. So COVID didn't uh, affect mm -hmm. me in that way. Sarah, um, I'm a mom of three boys, so I feel you being a boy mom. I love that. Yeah. Um, so, okay, you told us you're the senior writer and faith and work editor for the Gospel Coalition. Would love to hear more about your work and what you do. Mm hmm. So um, I before I wrote for the Gospel Coalition, I wrote for Christianity Today for probably mm. 13 years. Um, and then I so I was just writing news. My my degrees are in journalism. And then uh, I came over when I came over to the Gospel Coalition, I was sort of following my editor, Colin Hansen, who had first brought me on at CT. And then he left to do TGC and then said, why don't you come over here and you can write stories of where God is at work in the world. And I said, mm, that sort of sounds like doing pretty puffy pieces about <laughs> happy Christian things. That doesn't sound real. Um, but I trust him. Um, and I, and it was kind of intriguing and we thought, well, we'll just see what happens. So about, gosh, three or four years ago, I started writing, it was going to be stories of where God is at work in the world in a really amazing way. So where God's spirit is doing something remarkable, where you look at it and say, that is for sure God moving, mm. you know, and God is moving everywhere. So I sometimes hesitate to say that. Right. Even in your local church or even in your daily life, this hour, God is moving. But these were stories that we thought were really remarkable and would encourage other people. So we weren't sure if anybody would read them. 
We weren't sure if they were even happening, but we jumped in and we have been overwhelmed with the number of stories of God at work. And it just seems the stories are incredible. And so it feels almost like not really a continuation of Acts, but just like to be able to gather those stories and write them down to preserve what God is doing for somebody else. Um, It's been it's been extremely encouraging to me. So, that's great. Yeah, that's awesome. oh, and, and speaking of one of those stories uh, came out on February 24th. You wrote a story called at the Gospel Coalition called Changing Lives Through Washing Cars, which was just a fascinating story. Again, not a story you'd see on the news or something like that. So I think it serves as a great example of what you're talking about. Could you just briefly tell us the story uh, behind that article? Mm-hmm. So there is a man named Thomas Kim, and he grew up in the Chicago area. Um, and he didn't have a father, but he always had mentors who were in his life, men in the local church or teachers or coaches who were always sort of showing him the way. And he was saved quite young. Well, when he came to faith in the Lord. And so really was excited about that. And then, you know, throughout the rest of his career was sort of balancing not only between he really liked entrepreneurial stuff. So sort of between that and corporations, like where do I find my way, but also between like, gosh, should I be in the ministry or should I be, you know, working Mm. somewhere? Mm. Um, That was always a tug on him too. And um, so he's, you know, he's the kind of guy who buys investment properties and dabbles in this and dabbles in that always kind of on the edge and having a new idea. If you know, an entrepreneur, you know, that like that lives inside them. Yes. Um, and a while ago, a couple of years ago, he bought a, this old car wash where a guy was retiring and he just wanted to think about it in a way that honored God. And so he thought about like, how do we use products that are good for the environment? How do we um, serve our customers and honor them as people who were made in the image of God? Like he want, he just wanted to be an excellent experience for the people who come. And he also really wanted to pour into the guides who work for him. Mm-hmm. So that mentoring that he had received, he wanted to turn around and give that to this next generation of guys. So they're not, these are the guys who are maybe, he's like, gosh, they're not, you know, graduating from Harvard and they're not, you know, in prison. He told me they're probably like the guys who are middle of the road at school. Um, And so there was just really, they're just kind of trucking along. And he's like, man, so when they come to work for him, he says to them immediately, you're on a management track. Mm. So you, you don't, this is not a dead end job. Like from day one, he had, he's, he's aiming you and training you to take on more and more and more responsibility. And then he moves them up as quickly as they can, as quickly as they'll, they want to do it. Um, so he's got like a 19 year old managing an entire site, wow. Wow. which has been phenomenal. Yes. And I just, you know, I talked to a guy um, who works for him, who's named Thomas Alexander. And he was like, he's not a Christian. But he said, this is the, like the most perfect way that I've seen. I'm the most interested in Christianity that I've ever been because these guys are just showing it. My boss is showing it to me in his everyday life. Um, so even if he won the lottery, mm-hmm. he told me he would continue to go back to his car wash job wow. with these guys. Uh, yes, which feels amazing. It's been amazing to me. That is so, that is an incredible story. I, I think too, you know, a lot of folks, we've talked about this before on the show, a lot of folks don't know the value that they have as marketplace ministers, mm-hmm. right? Or a marketplace uh, pastors or marketplace missionaries. And so the fact that the first man that you mentioned um, saw his 
vocational call to live on mission for Jesus in the marketplace and then how he's impacting these younger guys. I what, what an awesome story. I love that so much. Mm-hmm. You know, it just makes me feel like you could do it anywhere. If you could do it at a car wash, you could do it anywhere, right? Like you could always be pouring into somebody else who's around you. Yeah, yeah that's exactly right. And that gets at something I was wondering, like I, I, the fact that you guys put this on the on the Gospel Coalition website says that there's a, a hunger for it. What's the what's the feedback you get, and what do you think the result is as people are reading kind of these everyday stories that they wouldn't hear other places? What's the sort of feedback you get from these kinds of stories? We we get really positive feedback from this. So people who read the Gospel Coalition are usually. Um, really involved in their local church and really interested in theology. So that's just, I mean, that's just the people who would go to a place called the gospel coalition. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But there's also, but you know, they work in churches with people or maybe they just have their everyday job. And so we love to, we get a lot of positive feedback just from stories like this. This is just everyday stuff that not only can a pastor just read and appreciate, but share with people in his congregation who are working those everyday jobs. Or if, you know, someone reads this and thinks, Hey, my brother-in-law works at a car wash Mm -hmm. or something. Um, or just, or not even just like, Hey, we're, we're all sort of in this workplace ministry together. Um, it's just, we get a lot of positive feedback. People, people like those stories. That's great. Well, that other voice you hear is, uh, Sarah Zylstra, senior writer and faith at work editor for the gospel coalition. Uh, Sarah is also the co-author of a new book that's coming out, I believe in April called gospel bound living with resolute hope in an anxious age. And Sarah, thanks again for staying with us. This book seems so important, so timely that you wrote alongside with uh, Colin Hansen. Uh, Could you give us kind of the idea? um, What is the book about? But even more than that, why did you write it? Yeah, you know, it's funny, we started writing this or the proposal process anyway, before 2020, Mm -hmm. because already then you could notice that um, just America in general was getting more anxious. Um, mm. studies were showing people were sleeping less, were the mental health issues were, were on the rise. Um, depression for sure and suicide and medications for that were just, were going up. So we were looking at that problem. Then of course, 2020, where all of that went through the roof, um, and the, you know, calls to uh, the hotlines and, uh, reports of, of mental health crisis mm-hmm. just, just skyrocketed. Um, so it turned out to be even more um, prescient than we realized when we got it started. Um, we wrote it because we we also see um, two things. One, we see the rising anxiety in general, but we also see sort of a fear among Christians because we do live in a culture that is moving farther away from a cultural Christianity yeah. um, and more toward a nominal or secular society. And for Christians, that can be really uncomfortable. Not that our faith is wrong. We believe our faith is right. Not that we're surprised by sin or surprised by opposition. The Bible tells us to expect that. Mm -hmm. But just, I think that where it's rubbing together where it hasn't rubbed together for us before. Mm -hmm. So we're rubbing against culture in a way when, when, you know, 20 or 30 years ago, culture was largely supportive of Christian values um, and respected pastors and, you know, appreciated Christian ministries um, instead of, and, and as we go along and they're seeing more intolerant and oppressive or homophobic, um, that's Christians are standing there thinking, but we're just doing the same thing we always did. Yeah. Um, so we were kind of writing to address, you know, as Christians find themselves in a different spot, um, what should they think about or, or how do they live in that 
Oh, that sounds so timely, Sarah. <laughs> I am. I. I mean, and you're right that it, this this sort of rise of anxiety was happening b- before the pandemic. But right now, I mean, I'm so grateful that this book is coming out. I think it's April 6th. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. go ahead and pre-order it, listeners. We all need to read this book. I think my question for you, Sarah, is what does the gospel have to say about our anxiety? What mm. does Jesus speak over us or into those of us who wrestle with anxiety or fear on or, or something along those lines. Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. Jesus says, and the angels say, every time one shows up, do not be afraid. Mm-hmm. Right. And Jesus says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. We hear that over and over again. Um, that's hard to do. Um, I think that's harder to do when you're standing still uh, being afraid because you're just you know, sort of frozen in it. So one of the things that we did was offered seven different ways, biblical ways that Christians historically have lived in the margins because for, you know, almost all of the church's history across the globe, it has been in the margins. Yeah. Um, Christianity isn't usually the dominant player in a, in a culture. Mm. So we pulled out things like um, living with honor, mm. suffering with joy, caring for the weak, extending hospitality. Um, those are biblical things that when you're doing them, I think, and you're looking less at yourself and more at Jesus and more at other people. And I think that alone helps to cut down on the anxiety. You know, when you're doing something, don't you feel like, well, at least we're doing something. <laughs> That's so true. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then we offered examples for each, in each chapter. So each chapter takes on one of those. And then um, we talk about it biblically, but then also pull out examples of, of people who are doing that. So you can kind of see, oh, here's ideas yeah. for what to do. I love that. That's good, Sarah. Mm-hmm. Someone's driving in their car right now or they're listening at home and they're just feeling really anxious, like legitimately could be COVID related, mm-hmm. job related, anything right now. We know that that is a, a common feeling. What is one or two very practical things that you would you would counsel somebody who's feeling that way right now? What's a first step? What, what should they do to kind of go down the path of dealing with this anxiety? Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, certainly um, pray about it. I would take it to the Lord in prayer and, and give it to him as much as we possibly can. Look up those verses that we were talking about, read those and sort of marinate in those as much as you can. The longer you can think about those verses, um, I think, and get them into your head and into your heart, the better off you'll be. Mm. Second, of course, I'm, maybe you've talked about this in previous episodes, but um, turn off that phone. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> one, of the, one of the things that makes us so anxious um, is our phone. It's the, the news that we're getting on it, the constant activity of it, um, the constant distraction of it. So to be able to put that away for a while um, does a lot of good. And then I would also say, um, dig as much as you can into your local church. So good. You know, build up those friendships there, serve there, um, get fed there. Those would be strategies I would suggest. I love that. I love that you're doing like a a big picture look at resolute hope, but that you're also giving people practical handholds. I think that's really meaningful. Um, Sarah, one of the first things you said as you were kind of listing off some of the um, practical steps you give people, did you say standing with honor? Is that Was that the language you used? Living. Living, living with, honor. with honor. Talk mm-hmm. to us about that. How do we live with honor in sort of this, what's becoming a post-Christian society? I know, right? This is, it's just so... Uh, I'm thinking about the chapter. It makes me so excited. <laughs> we pulled out a couple ways that we 
held up as examples. And one is to live with sexual honor. Mm. And this is not just, you know, don't marry a girl, but um, stay celibate until you're married. Don't cohabitate. Keep your eyes from porn. Like to live with sexual honor is different. Yeah. Um, and people would people notice that just from those lifestyle choices that you're making. Um, it's not easy to do, but it's good to do and it is right to do. Mm. So that's one. Another um, thing we pulled out is to live with economic honor, um, like with your finances. Um, one of the uh, stories that I wrote, I covered in the last couple of years is of a place called Eventide and they run an investment firm. So like, you know, where you put your 401ks, but you have no idea where that money goes. <laughs> right. right. Somebody just takes it and puts it somewhere, who knows? And then maybe they give it back to you when you retire. Um, but he was disturbed by, he's a super smart guy. He was investing himself and was disturbed by, Hey, when I go to a mutual fund, all the companies that, um, support abortion or, I don't, you know, mistreat their customers or harm the environment on purpose, like all the mm. things. And so he was like, gosh, I want all of my dollars to honor the Lord. And so he started a place called Eventide and they um, will invest for you in a way like they're searching for companies that, that honor the Lord through the whole, like they, they do research into the companies in which they are investing. That's awesome. Yes. So that was one. Those are just a couple of examples. Uh, Sarah, we're excited to to read your book. Actually, the later give people a look into the future here, like another month or so, you and Colin are going to come back on to talk more Mm -hmm. about the book, uh, which we are really excited for. Again, the the book is called Gospel Bound, Living with Resolute Hope in an Anxious Age. And also Sarah is the senior writer and faith and work editor for the Gospel Coalition. Lots of great stories there. Sarah, before we let you go, where can people find you? Obviously, we said at the Gospel Coalition, but how about on social media, a website, anything else where people can find you? You can follow me on Twitter. Um, I think I am Sarah E. Zylstra on Twitter. If you want to find the book, you can go to gospelboundbook.com. And of course, the gospelcoalition.com, um, the stuff that I've written for the last couple of years, lots and lots of really good stories. It's all at the Gospel Coalition. That's awesome. Again, Sarah Zylstra is senior writer and faith at work editor for the Gospel Coalition. Sarah, this was great. Thanks so much for joining us today. So great to have you. Oh, thanks for letting me come. This is really fun. Absolutely. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm, joined again by Aubrey Sampson. As we close out the week on this Friday afternoon, hopefully you've got a uh, fun weekend planned ahead of you. Aubrey, let me thank you again. Kind of we're like I emailed you earlier in the week or text you like, hey, you want to do Thursday, Friday? Jump in. <laughs> it is, uh, so it's fun. It's been fun. so fun. It's a ton of fun to do shows with you, and I feel like we're getting good so at it. Fun. So. I feel like we are, too. I feel like this is, yeah, we're a good team. Nobody else has to believe that, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> right. Don't tell us if you disagree, listeners. Exactly. We don't want to hear it. We want feedback. Just the positive feedback. Just so. only good feedback, please. <laughs> exactly. Well, one thing we've been doing since the uh, COVID-19 pandemic began, which unbelievably is like a year next week, uh, where things kind of shut down and life just changed. Life got uh, just increasingly difficult. Uh, obviously health-wise for many people, but also just the mm-hmm. the loss of normalcy and the loss of uh, relationships and whatever else it might be. 
one of the things Ian and I started doing was to just try to provide the end of the show to be a time to put a smile on your face or to give you something to think about, give you some inspiration. And one of the ways we've regularly done that is through an unbelievable website called the Good News Network, called goodnewsnetwork.org. Uh, And what the Good News Network is, is exactly what it sounds like. It's just a curation, a collection of of articles that make you feel good about humanity, (laughs) that make you feel Mm, good about life. I love that. That's awesome. And there's specifically a section on there called Inspiring. And that's the best section there. Just inspiring stories of everyday people doing cool things. And so uh, Ian and I used to do that. And so, Aubrey, you're going to get to do this for the first time uh, since you've been on the show where we're just going to read a couple stories. Uh, These are not hard-hitting news. This is not meant for discussion. It's meant for a smile and make you feel a little bit better about humanity out there. there. So there are five stories that I've selected. I'm going to let you choose whichever one you want to start with. Oh, this is so exciting. I picked one. I picked one. I Okay, here we go. I'm excited about this one. UK choir makes the sweetest lullaby for five-year-old in the US when their singing is the only thing that helps her sleep. Here's what it says. A British choir has come to the rescue of a little American girl suffering from night terrors by singing her to sleep with a special lullaby from 3,500 miles away. There, uh, her dad, a music teacher, came across a video of a Bristol man chorus singing a sea shanty, which that's a whole other conversation that's we awesome. have to have at some point. Sea shanties became very popular this year. Um, five-year-old Rosalind Kane and her sister Evelyn have been huge fans of the all-male group. When Rosalind began having nightmares, Rick reached out to the choir from his home in Pennsylvania to see if they could help his daughter through the power of song. The choir director got to work immediately. They crafted a personal lullaby for her. And then just quickly, here are the lyrics. Yeah. Rosalind Evelyn, sing goodnight. Rosalind Evelyn, close your eyes. Sweetest dreams, all warm and bright. Rosalind Evelyn, sing goodnight. And then he arranged it for the whole choir to sing that's and awesome. gave it to those girls. Isn't that cool? See, that's Good News Network. Get their that's best right there. Oh, I love it. Can we, pa- can we pause Good News Network? Did you say sea shanties are a thing this year? Oh, <laughs> Yes. Do you not know about this, Brian? They are like a pop culture internet. This is why I love the internet. As much negativity as there is, there are these weird things that you never expect to become popular. Bernie's mittens are a great example. Like, why did that become so outrageous? Sea shanties are another one of those things. In the past few months, they became this like wild internet sensation. Saturday Night Live did a skit about a sea shanty, which I wouldn't recommend. It's really inappropriate. (laughs) However, that shows you how like sea shanties became this like major pop culture thing in 2021. My kids put uh, now that you say that, they put like a pirate sea shanty song on the other day. And I was like, what are you doing? <laughs> that, that's why it's like a cultural moment. Yeah. You're learning about how little I know about cultural moments. Okay. I love this, this headline. <laughs> this headline. Heroic sailor dives into choppy seas to save four kittens from a burning ship. Stop <laughs> it. A brave Navy, Navy sailor recently plunged into choppy waters to rescue four kittens from a burning ship off the coast of Thailand. Uh, 23-year-old... That's a fun sight. Received, I think I got that. Received the emergency call and dove into water while still wearing his pants. 
That's an interesting uh, thing to throw <laughs> That's in. That's a good detail. To yep, swim over to the wreckage. All eight crew members had already escaped the inferno and been picked up by passing fishing boat. However, the four terrified cats were left behind. They moved to the Aww. bow and were left clinging to a crane structure no. as the flames rapidly engulfed the ship. Uh, her, the guy swam 50 feet through rough seas before he climbed aboard the sinking ship and put three cats into an old rice sack. The other Aww. kitten he carried onto his shoulder. And they, there's Stop pictures it. of this. All four kittens are now fully recovered with Navy officials currently looking after the little cats Come at their office. That's on. awesome. That makes me want to cry. That is fantastic. Good news network for you. All right, three more. I wonder if you can more. adopt those. I wonder if you can adopt those kittens. I don't know. Oh, okay. Here's another one. This one's awesome. 60 years ago, he couldn't afford college. Now he's donating $20 million <laughs> to fulfill the dreams of students today. While countless brilliant men and women don't have college diplomas, their achievements often speak for themselves. Still, having access to a higher education can be an integral stepping stone onto the path of success. It's a double whammy when marginalized students who've traditionally faced financial barriers to obtaining those degrees find themselves drowning in debt by the time they graduate. Few know the challenges of this particular obstacle course better than Calvin Tyler, who abandoned his own collegiate dream six years ago when tuition became too steep. 1961, he enrolled as a student of business, but in 1963, a year shy of graduation, he had to pull out, took a job as a UPS driver. So his lack of diploma might have been considered a setback, but it didn't deter him. Steadily rose mm. through the ranks. He eventually retired in 1998. Now is the senior, or was, sorry, the senior VP of U.S. operations for UPS. Okay. Now here's where the part gets amazing. Um, Tyler's hard work and grit paid off. And uh, his story was the exception rather than the rule. So in 2002, he and his wife established the Calvin and Tina Tyler Endowed Scholarship Fund at the historically black university he once attended. He grants full tuition scholarships to select Baltimore students in need so that they can gain a foothold on the corporate ladder. That's Isn't awesome. that cool? That is a Disney Love movie. Love that. It's a Disney movie waiting it's to be made Disney right there. It's a Disney movie. I would, pay, I would pay a lot of money and watch that. All right. I think I, we got two more. I think we're only going to have time for one. Let's see. Chicago. Let's, let's stay local. Chicago okay. coffee shop owner has collected 6,000 warm coats for the homeless and delivered them with coffee. Tucked into a suburban Chicago train station may appear to be an unassuming coffee shop, uh, but what's going on behind the scenes is much more than your average cup of joe. See, that's really well written right that's there. That's clever. For that's good the writing. seventh year in a row, the shop owner, shop's owner, Pilot Pete, a.k.a. Peter Thomas, has been the driving force behind Coffee with a Purpose, an annual community initiative that collects and distributes coats and other necessities to help the local homeless population brave the harsh Midwest winters. Thomas wow. uh, says the idea came to him when he was trying to find a way to give back to the community as well as other places that he is involved in. This year, for drive number seven, Thomas and his crew helmed the Coffee with a Purpose command center from the back of a 26-foot moving truck. The humanitarian caravan made a total of six stops through the greater Chicago area. They brewed up to 40 gallons of coffee. Baked goods were given by Rough Edges Confectionery. Uh, and it goes on to keep saying what they did. At each stop, Thomas invited people to, quote, shop for whatever they needed, free of charge. In <laughs> addition awesome. to the coats, there was a wide selection of blankets, socks, hats, gloves, scarves, and personal hygiene items to choose from, all collected, sorted, and hung by gung-ho 
community volunteers. I think this just might be in Elmhurst. This is an interview with the Elmhurst Independent. What is quite close to us. This is a great story. That great job so by this cool. guy. Yeah, the Elmhurst Metro Station. So somebody oh, should drop awesome. in and say thank you to him. That's what we do here on The Common Good. We try to give you some good news, a smile on your face as you go about your weekend. Aubrey, have a great weekend. Thanks for doing this hey, again. Hey, you too, Brian. It's been so fun to be here with you. Yeah, and it's been great to have all of you join us. We hope that you have a great weekend. For Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. You've been listening to The Common Good here on AIM 1160. Hope for your life.